0: This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice and all the latest developments in human resource management.
1: Managing HR when based in one country can be complicated, but when you're looking to expand internationally, education and compliance are absolutely essential. Hey, this is Bill Bannham, your guest host of the HR in Review podcast. And in this episode, we're going to look at ways to close that gap. My guest joining me today is Michelle Forster, Managing Director over at Tricord Solutions HR, a company helping businesses through complex M&A, tube and redundancy processes to ensure fair and rigorous procedures are followed to help mitigate employment tribunal exposure. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show today.
2: Thank you, Bill. It's lovely to be here
1: so michelle beyond my reintroduction there why don't you start by taking a minute or two and telling our listeners a bit more about yourself don't get into trichord just yet we'll speak about that in just a moment
2: sure that's um, not a problem okay so i'm michelle forster um i'm a brit born and raised i was raised in claphams in south london if those south londoners out there they'll appreciate that um i have a uh, grew up my whole life in London but I've actually spent most of my adult life out of the UK and I've lived abroad in multiple countries for about 19 years.
1: Excellent and we were chatting before we hit record today uh, those places included beautiful Colorado and I believe you said DC which is another awesome place to be I'm very jealous uh, they are they are fantastic locations. Um, okay yes. now let's tell us- yeah, absolutely right. Uh, let, let's now talk a little bit about uh, Tricord. Uh, can you can you give our audience a bit of an overview of the of the business and and what you guys get up to?
2: Of course. So Tricord has actually a bit of personal meaning for myself. So I've got three kids, and uh, so the try that a part of Tricord is is a sort of like a a nod to my three children. The other thing about Tricord and why I named it Tricord is that whenever you're working as a consultant as an independent consultant you come in to bridge the gap very often between the employer and the employee. So I look at being that bridge and hence came up with the name Tricord. Now, Tricord Solutions HR is an HR solutions-focused consultancy that supports any um, UK business with outsourced HR. So it could be anything from your basic contracts to handbooks, whatever. But because I've been in HR for, it feels like, Donkeys years. I'm not even going to tell you how many, but it's more than 20, a little bit less than 30. <laughs> and so, and um, I have done multiple mergers and acquisitions, restructuring, redundancies, mergers and acquisitions, and very um very often sometimes complex, highly sensitive disciplinaries and grievances, and um sometimes very sensitive and highly difficult um employee exits. And then, sorry, but I also do international HR as um you spoke to bill at the beginning of the podcast and i help any company in any country move and expand into another country and that helps them and i help them with that legal entity setup, um, local employment contracts local handbooks and then getting the business off to a
0: great start follow us on twitter at hr review or join us on linkedin and facebook What
1: are some of the big challenges for HR departments when a company is looking to expand into new
2: jurisdictions? So education and compliance are key when you want to expand into new jurisdiction. Very often, uh, a lot of companies will try and sort of go into a country under the radar, but I think it causes a huge amount of problems for them. Um, One of the things I found, especially with um, US, UK companies, is that they will go in and think that they can go under a UK or US contract and employ someone in that jurisdiction um, but they're already um, illegal in that country so the norm is that whenever you employ someone in a country even if they're an expat moving into that country and it's not 100 across the board but i'd say about 95 percent they have to have a local in-country employment contract that legally abides by the labor laws in that country and then as part of that they also have to abide by the local policies and procedures in that country And they can't just do it the way they did in their home country, because that can open them up to exposure in that country. Um, A lot of countries, especially in Europe, uh, are governed by collective bargaining agreements. And those collective bargaining agreements determine that employment relationship. And if you don't abide by those local collective bargaining agreements, you can get yourself into a
0: lot of trouble. If you enjoy the HR and Review podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. This helps others find us and grow our community of HR and related professionals.
1: What does that look like? What sort of trouble can you get into?
2: So some of the things that you can get into trouble with is, it's. so I look at, this is going to make you chuckle, but it's very, very relevant. I I look at an employee, the most important thing any employer should have is an employment contract. Why? Because an employment contract almost acts like a prenup. When you get uh, married, everything is lovely, hunky dory honeymoons and unicorns. But when it comes time to divorce, it brings out the worst in people. And it's very often similar in that employment relationship. So when you first onboard somebody into the organisation, You need a solid contract in place because what it does is it makes the employer and the employee behave. It helps them to know where they stand legally and what they are responsible for and what they are not responsible for. And then if it comes time to exit that employee for whatever reason, because you have a good, strong employment contract in place, then everybody abides by the rules most of the time and the exit is often Um, amicable even if it's an unfriendly exit or an unhappy exit ends up amicably just because you have a contract in place which determines the rules around that exit and it mitigates a huge amount of risk and it mitigates a huge amount of hostility as well now um, when this comes to now just to sort of move forward a bit again and answer your question about what's the um, issues around collective bargaining agreements in those countries So often when employers go into a country and they they go in blind and they don't get the right education or the right support to enter into that country, and maybe they don't have a legally compliant contract, if they upset the employee in any way, shape, or form, all the employee has to do is make a call to a local their local works council, think of it in the UK like a trade union, and say, My employer has done this, whether or not it's true, then that works council if I just want to be blunt, can make the employer's life hell. And that employer can also get blacklisted in that country depending on the situation. And if that employer or that company gets blacklisted in that country, for them to continue to do business is going to be very, very difficult. For them to even recruit is going to be very, very difficult. So it's really important. Uh, When I'm working with countries, say they want to go into France, I think France is one of the most complicated countries to enter into, but it's also one of the greatest. When a when you're going to enter into a company, when you're going to go and open up a subsidiary in France, you have to abide by the collective bargaining agreements. That determines certain um, um, portions of the employment contract. It also has to be reflected and determined in the employment handbook. And I'll very often, I have very good relationships, works councils in multiple countries. I will go in and I'll bring them into that relationship with the company, bring them into that relationship with the organisation so that even if the company makes a mistake because we've already built that relationship with the works council we can then turn around and say to them look we've messed up please can you help us rectify it please can you help us do the best and the right by this employee or the situation and the works councils are more than happy because you've built that relationship from the get-go to sort of step in and say okay you know you should have done this but let, let's help you get back on track and then that preserves the relationship of the company preserves the relationship with the employer and you, you move forward in a very, I think, productive and very healthy way.
1: I appreciate that you work more with uh, the, the, the corporate side of things, with, with leadership, with HR departments and whatnot. But for, for employees, Michelle, looking to transfer to a, to a new territory. So I'm thinking here, for example, you know, the, the intro company transfers. Uh, what, what are some the typical legal and compliance issues that they and their families, of course, because they'll be going with them. Um, what, what are some of those that they face?
2: So the most important thing when, uh, for example, if you're talking about an intercompany transfer, which is normally the norm when you're transferring into another country, you've, you've gotten a job with someone, so if you're moving to the US, um, so then the most important thing is that work sponsorship, that work visa. So the employer will have to sponsor your work permit, and then you apply for that work permit. And so um, it can be quite a long, rigorous process in whichever country you're, you're going into, and some can be relatively quick. But the most important thing is if you as a as a single person transferring to another country, you have to have the work permit in place. If you're a family with dependents, then you also have to think about many other things when you're transferring over. So you have to think about the culture that you're walking into. And this is even from this is just from a very practical standpoint myself, because I'm a mum with kids, is that you have to think about what catchment area, what kids are you kids are your uh, what school are your kids going to go to not just the company that you're walking into you also have to know that also if you're for example if you're going to move to the states with your family's state into the states you have to abide by the work permit you have to also abide by the fact that you're being governed by the the new employment rules in that country so in the us it's an employment at world country which means they can hire and fire at any time so you don't have the protection of redundancy that you would if you were coming from the UK. So it's really important to be aware of those intricacies when you're entering into that country. There could be benefits that are compulsory in that country. So most countries, not all, but most countries have a compulsory pension plan. Um, a lot of them, not all of them, have a um, mandatory private health care plan, just as a sort of high-end look um, overview of it. So when you're moving into the, that country, you have to make sure that you comply with the statutory benefits and that you'll benefit as an employee from those benefits and then also if you again if you're moving into that country how would you um you know, does the the company that you're working with, do they have relocation services to help you move into that country? Do they help you find a property? Do they help you find the right schools? Do they help you move into the right area? And I also think that a lot of companies don't give a cultural debrief, especially for expats into that country. As a Brit, when I first moved over to the US back in 1999, um, it was such a massive culture shock for me um, because there is a different level of... um, directness so for example in the uk we can be quite um we're very polite in how we um interact with each other in the workplace very professional in the us they can be very very direct in their conversation with you and very to the point they don't necessarily it's not going to say it sound right but it doesn't necessarily come under the umbrella of politeness they are just direct and it's not that they're trying to be rude it's just their culture and that the way that they um, work with you and so you kind of have to get your head around that and understand and not take it personally and you know do your job and also again you have to understand that the annual leave in multiple countries can be very different to your own again in the US annual leave can be five to ten days per year for a standard employment contract and if you've come from somewhere like the UK where you get you know 28 days with public holidays that can be very hard for you to then go to a country which only gives you ten working days annual leave per year.
1: Did that? Come yeah, out? but yeah, yeah, no, but I I agree with everything you said there. Although I, I, my my philosophy on this is always you get paid more in the US. Uh, you might get less holidays, but you, you get you get the opportunity to make more money. Uh, it depends on you know what, what's important and where you are in your in your career and where, where, in, in your life. I think both have got uh, benefits and and disadvantages. Um, and I'd 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 love to have another conversation with another time about the the different cultures in in the UK and the US. Eighty five percent of my business is out of the US, Michelle. I actually find them way more polite than working with Brits generally. But we don't have time for that today. Um, uh-huh. So let, let's continue through. Uh, you you help guide companies through the disciplinary and and grievance process, of course, and uh, if applicable, uh, if the employee has the potential of being exited from that business. What what are some of the key steps? to take to minimise risk and support employers in conducting a fair, equitable and, and legally compliant process? Of course, you spoke earlier about having a contract in place. But beyond that, what are some of those other pieces?
2: So again, I think this is why I think a handbook is so key to any any company, any organisation, because it acts as your standard operating procedures for that company. So what that means is, so for example, you have to go through a disciplinary grievance process. If you don't have a policy in place, like an employee can do what they want. That's not fair to any employee. Um, and then the employee doesn't know where they stand. But if you have an, a policy in place, a grievance, disciplinary grievance policy in place, then the employer has to abide by their own policy, as does the employee. So it gives them... So, it, so, why, so how does that help you mitigate risk? If you follow your own disciplinary and grievance procedure and put those steps in place, if the employee was... Um, then determined that they went that they would have to be exited from the organisation. Then the likelihood of it going to a tribunal is significantly lower than if you didn't follow your own practice and your own policy in the first place. It mitigates risk. It mitigates exposure, um, and I think that's invaluable for any organisation.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Michelle. The next two questions I've got for you are questions that we ask all of our guests on the HR in review podcast. Okay, so don't worry if you feel like you want to repeat some pieces that you've mentioned before. That's okay. We we cut up these answers and we use them in different ways and whatnot. Um, So first of those two is if you could pass on one crucial lesson that you've learned in your career in one minute or less what bill that's impossible. Uh, What would be your top tip for HR pros and leaders go?
2: i think the most important thing for me from my experience is just to keep a calm head because very often hr brought into crisis situations and because i've seen several of those in my career you just learn that you just go in and it's actually really important to bring down the temperature in the room and bring in a very balanced perspective look at what's going on and just keep calm and you know hr professionals we're problem solvers So there's nothing, there's no problem that's not insurmountable. And I think that when you go through so many years of experience, there's a different, um, uh, there's a different understanding that you bring into that room when you're going in there to deal with that situation. And I think that that's invaluable, invaluable um, experience that I've learned over my career.
0: Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR in Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast.
1: Well, I think you did that in about 55 seconds. Good work. Good work. Um, Okay. (laughs) Uh, next to the two standard questions that we ask of all of our guests is as follows. What is the single biggest change, Michelle, that you think will happen in HR and leadership over the next five to 10 years?
2: I actually think I'm going to answer this very differently. So I don't necessarily think it's about change in HR and change in leadership over the next five to 10 years, because at the end of the day, it boils down to, do you have good leadership? And do you have good communication? And do you look after your people? So I know like on the current HR forums, you hear lots lots and lots of things about diversity, equity, inclusion and mental health, for example. But again, when you're looking at these um, measures that are trying to be achieved, if you don't have good leadership that champions or advocates those causes, good um, people that administer those changes or those causes, then HR leadership can ch- won't change. It will stay the same. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but it's all about raising good leaders and being good to your organisation, having good communication levels throughout that process. And it's really important as an organisation, whether you're big or small, to have trust in your organisation. If you don't have trust, then you'll start to see unhealthy, very often unhealthy, internally competitive um, factors coming into play where people sort of compete against others. And there's there's healthiness in that, but there's also a lot of unhealthiness in that. So again, it's the culture of the organisation, good leadership, treating your employees well and trust and communication that's that's what i believe anyway
1: rock and roll and just finally for today michelle how can our listeners connect with you personally so maybe that's through linkedin maybe you want to share your email address i bet you're super cool and you're all over tiktok instagram and places and of course how can they <laughs> <laughs> how can they learn more about tricord too
2: so um it would be awesome if you wanted to visit my website which is tricordsolutionshr.com Or if you actually even wanted to contact me, you can get me at michelle at tricord-solutions.com and it would be amazing to hear from you.
1: Excellent. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, and I feel like you and I can have many more conversations in the future, Michelle. But for today, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR in Review pod.
0: You're very welcome, Bill. The HR in Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review, or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.